folks. Welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm your host, the Muscle Maven. Uh, today we're talking about hormones. We're talking about muscle. We're talking about burnout. These are all, I think, pretty common topics on this podcast, but you can really never talk about them enough, can you? Because they're very important. Hormonal health, building muscle, building healthy muscle, avoiding burnout. These are like key aspects to overall health happiness and longevity, right? So, I mean, I think we can't talk about it enough. And I wanted to bring on uh, Dr. Brooke. She is somebody that I've been following for a really long time. She wrote a book, um, co-authored a book called Hangry, which is amazing, all about food and eating and your hormones. I mean, with a name like that, so great. Um, She's a functional medicine practitioner, And she focuses on female health, hypothyroidism, autoimmunity, uh, specialties like PCOS, Hashimoto's, menopause, um, weight loss. So, I mean, this essentially almost covers basically everybody. Uh, But as I've said, I always like to have a focus on women's health because that's what I'm here for. But this stuff is going to apply to almost everybody. Um, and even if you're a guy listening who has a woman in your life that is struggling, um, I think that this could be a really beneficial um, episode for you. And of course, the stuff where we're talking about burnout and stress is going to be helpful um, for everybody. You know what? I just love when smart professionals say things that back up what I've been saying. So stuff about how muscle is like truly a gift that keeps on giving and why um, and how more is not more when it comes to working out and biohacking and being hard charging all the time. Um, She gives lots of practical tips in this episode about how to not let your health take the back burner, no matter how busy you are. Um, Because I know a lot of times people might hear about stress reduction ideas and be like, yeah, that's great, but I have a bunch of kids and a crazy job and a crazy life. Like, you know, what can I do? These aren't things that are negotiable. And that's a really valid point. And so she talks about, you know, she's got kids, she's got a busy job. She is an expert in these things. And she still sometimes um, lets the stress kind of pile up and and has these issues even while that's kind of her specialty, which I think is really honest and cool that she shares that because it shows how easy it is for this stuff to sneak up on us. But we don't have to sacrifice our health no matter how busy we are. And I think that's really important. Um, So we talk about a lot of awesome stuff in this episode, and I'm not going to waste any more time introing it. Here is my chat with licensed naturopathic doctor and functional medicine practitioner, the awesome Dr. Brooke. All right, Dr. Brooke, thank you for being on the show and catching up with me. And uh, I appreciate you being here. Of course. I had so much fun when you were on my show. I was really looking forward to chatting with you again. Yeah. Yeah. We're a little bit overdue. Um, And we started kind of having a chat offline and I said, let me just press record because things are starting to get a little bit juicy. (laughs) Let's do that. Um, You know, before I ask you any kind of selfish questions that, you know, will help hopefully help me sort out my life. um, I just wanted to kind of like start high level and check in and kind of see how you were doing and how the last year um, maybe has impacted your work or the type of work you're doing. And you were telling me a little bit offline that, 
you know, like I think everybody can attest, it's been a rough year um, and that maybe you were feeling a little bit burnt out with some of the work that you were doing, which is interesting because you do talk about stress and burnout a lot in your work. So can you just, you know, talk to us a little bit about how things have been going for you? Yeah. So for, I mean, 2020 was a big year for all of us in so many ways. So there was not only like globally, everything that was going on, you know, living in New York city with two small children in an apartment, we sort of, it didn't take long to be in quarantine with two kids doing virtual schooling to be like, you know, that move we've been talking about to the suburbs. I think it's time. So we moved um, like totally changed from Brooklyn city life to moving to the New Jersey suburbs, which was very stressful. I mean, like every other Brooklyn person, we were fleeing. And so the, you know, that was really stressful, just buying a house. We'd never done that before. We'd always lived in the city. So that was a huge change. Kids getting put into new schools that they weren't actually setting foot in. So these are schools like virtual school. Um, I lost a dear friend last summer. Hangry, the book that I wrote with Sarah Fergoso had been out for, you know, about not quite a year when all this stuff happened. It had come out in summer of 2019. So I still feel like we were, I was doing a lot of still promotion and talk about the book and then all that life change. And somewhere around like Christmas time, I hit that wall that I swore I'd never do again. Like if you read the foreword for, you know, the intro for hangry, it was like, I've done so many things differently in my life and I don't ever want to be back in that place. And I don't think, I mean, by any stretch of the imagination, I had got myself into the place I had been in before when I really learned some of those lessons. So thankfully though, I had pushed it too far. But thankfully, though, I kind of had that time over the holidays to be like, it's really time to take a break. So I've been really quiet on social. I've been really focused on just my practice and taking care of my patients and not doing so much external stuff. It really felt like a time to kind of take a lot of my own advice, um, slow that hustle way, way down and really just focus on getting regrounded, I think, in our, our new life and not, I mean, there's a whole saga of stuff that goes wrong when you buy a home. So there was all of that stress too, but it was just such a, you know, kind of that time where I felt like on one hand, it was really time to like take the next step and, you know, kind of hangry came out in paperback a couple months ago. And so there was a little excitement there, but that next step of what I'm going to do next is I've just been kind of letting it marinate over here and not been pushing myself. And I know that a lot of us find that really hard. You know, I like to push myself with exercise and being busy and being stressed and, and go, go, go. And it's, um, it has never served me well. So I'm glad I heeded some of those lessons this time. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we kind of can talk about this right off the top though, because I think it's really useful for people to remember that, um, burnout and stress and putting too much on your plate is like a very, very common issue and that it can sneak up on people, even who have seemingly all the tools to recognize and deal with it. Right. Because, um, you know, it's one thing for people outside to, to, to look at it, you know, a objectively and say like, well, there's always places that you can, you can, you know, either stop or put on the back burner or deprioritize, or you can recognize these, these signs and whatever. And it's like, yeah, you can usually recognize them when you're looking at somebody else's life, but when you're dealing with it every day and everything you're doing feels like priority and important, and it's other people's needs and family and work and all of these things, it's, it's easier said than done to just 
relax about it or like figure it out or drop some things off the list. So, um, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just, you know, I found like, it was a really like big question of self-worth. I'm like, if I'm not going, like I'm lazy, I'm not, you know, I'm not serving my audience. I'm not taking, you know, not, not doing this stuff. And as was a really hard thing to kind of get my head around that, like, you know, we can't have our worth as a person yes. be tied up in how much we can get done. You know? Yeah. So how do you, how do you reconcile that? Like, is it literally just at a certain point taking the leap and saying, okay, like, here are some things that are, that are coming off the list, like social media, not a priority anymore. Maybe this thing over here, not a priority anymore. And then just moving forward with it and, and learning to feel okay with, with doing less or, or admitting that you can't do everything? Like what is the process actually like? Yeah, this is not my analogy, but it's one that I love. And it has always helped me. And it's that idea of like, if you had four pots on four burners and they were all like at a full boil all the time, you'd have like a total mess. And that you, you know, there's times like writing a book, like, you know what that's like, or having a baby or moving or any of those things where it's like that pot's getting all the attention. And that one's on the front and everybody's tending to it because it's about to boil over at any moment. But you have to turn down the burner on everybody else. Like you can't have, I feel like, you know, if you think about as like career, family, health, you know, and whatever other goes in your other bucket, um, your other pot, there's often a time, I think that idea of balance that we're somehow going to have everything going perfectly and getting just the right amount of care all of the time doesn't really exist. There is time when, you know, you've got something going on with your family or your kids or your relationship or a promotion or you're, you know, again, like writing a book or these big life changes that's going to get turned on high. And it's just, there's not an, you can't handle the stress of having all of those things on high. So I really just kind of focused on my family and my practice and had to really turn down the burner on everything else. I will say as well, the one thing I know not to do is to turn the heat all the way off on my health, because mm. if I'm not taking care of like sleeping and getting some movement and like the foods, you know, kind of taking care of nutrition and stuff, then, you know, everything really will fall apart. So I have to kind of keep that one maybe on like a low simmer, but I do think that analogy has really helped me over the years. I kind of, I go back to that a lot because I think most of us feel like we have to be all things to all people all the time. And that's really what, you know, for women, especially, you know, it's kind of what's expected of us and you have to look pretty good while you're doing it too. So you better... you know, like all of that extra stress. That's one of the few good things about, I feel like the pandemic and being homebound for so long was like a lot of us, I feel like took a collective step back on like what we actually need to be doing all day, every day to like, like at this point, like when I know that I'm going to do a podcast with somebody and I like do my hair and put some makeup on it, like it makes me feel really good, but I don't feel like that obligation to yeah. Do it all the time, which I think is really nice. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when I am like going out into the world a little bit more regularly. Yeah. But I think, I don't know, I feel like it might also come with like age a little bit because I feel like as I've moved into my like 30s, mid 30s from like my 20s, I just, I really do care a little bit less. And I don't yeah. know if that's the, the same story for everybody, but I just kind of feel like the more years you're fortunate to be alive and on this planet and in your body, you start to just, you know, you're getting more, maybe hopefully more comfortable with it, or at least more used to it. You've got this like, I appreciate you. This is what it is yeah. kind of situation going. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe that's me being too optimistic, but that's kind of how I'm feeling these days about it. 
Yeah, that is one of the best gifts of aging, I think, is that just becoming a little more settled and comfortable, you know, with with who you are. Um, I think there's still some of those challenges that come up. But, you know, it's funny. So we moved to this new place and we'd just been like moving in and stuff. And I think we'd been here for close to a month before I had to record a podcast or do something on video. And my neighbors saw me look. They were like this. And I was like, oh, you've never seen Dr. Brooke. (laughs) You've just seen me trying to like, you know, unload boxes and like... (laughs) get settled yeah um I definitely feel like that's been a a good gift of this pandemic for sure so now that you're settled into the suburbs how do you feel about it like being a city person because I know I mean I've I've always kind of like straddled the line and was you know I've lived in New York for years but on and off and you know I'm in Canada now and I'm still in a city but it's like it's not it's not the suburbs but it's also not like living in Manhattan or you know right right um and I love kind of having both. I think I still sort of crave the the busyness of the city, although I completely understand why a lot of people decided yeah. to get out of the, you know, big cities um, in 2020. But how do you feel about it now? Do you miss it? Do you, do you like the maybe change of pace? How are you adjusting? Yeah, I mean, we're really lucky because we're still in this little pocket that feels like a little neighborhood of Brooklyn. Pretty much everyone that moved around us is from the city, is from Mm -hmm. Brooklyn. So that kind of vibe of the people feels the same, but I kept waiting for us to really miss it. Like truly the time that I miss it is when I'm like, I need a lemon for like dinner and there's no bodega across the street. (laughs) I can't go get it. But other than that, like we really haven't missed it at all. And it's funny that you mentioned the hustle. So like when we moved to Manhattan first, I am the kind of person, you know, I think it's no accident. I end up talking to women so much about stress and their hormones because I am somebody who will, I thrive off of that. I thrive off that, that energy of New York city was like a double-edged sword for me. Cause I got a heck of a lot done in the 10 years that we lived there. Um, but I think it was, you know, no accident when we moved. And like I said, I, we got here and that's when I kind of realized that like I, that wall is coming. <laughs> I need yeah. to kind of not let that happen. So the change in pace a little bit helped me see that I'm still kind of can get so hooked into the hustle. And, you know, you're in your mid thirties, I'm in my forties now. And I feel like now the hustle doesn't do it for me anymore. I really feel like and I have kids and, you know, different, my life's just very different now. And I have to really feel like there's meaning. I'm so much more motivated. I can't just like post to post to check it off the list. I really, this doesn't motivate me anymore. And it's interesting shift because I don't get as much done, but I feel more connected to the stuff that I do get done. So all in all, I feel way less stressed here. I think it was really probably really good timing for me. That's awesome. I mean, it's the the best thing is when you do have like life changes or evolutions that come naturally and that you, they come when they are supposed to come and you appreciate them when they're there. Like it's, it's one thing to have a change thrust upon you. And so you're always kind of thinking like, oh, if, you know, wish I just stayed in the city and how might things have been different if I waited it out and I still kind of miss it versus like, nope, this was actually perfect. This is exactly what I wanted. I got what I got out of that period of my life and now yeah. I'm getting what I'm getting out of this period. Like that's the, that's the, what we would all hope for, right? As we kind yeah. of move through the different seasons. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I think we left when we were ready. I don't feel like yeah. a question about whether it was the right thing, which is also that that decreases the stress of all of it too. Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, we could just catch up here all day long, but <laughs> let's talk about your work a little bit. And, yeah. you know, as, as you said, you 
talk about stress and hormones and hormonal health um, with women. And you've got a practice um, where you work one-on-one with women individually, right? Yep. Has that always been sort of like uh, telework? Like, was it like, did that not change that much with the pandemic? Because you were kind of meeting people virtually anyway? Yeah. So that kind of accidentally wasn't in my plan. I had a uh, practice in the West Village in Manhattan and I loved it. I loved the, that area of the city and I loved my office. It was great. And I had my second baby and my lease was up for renewal and they doubled or almost tripled my rent. And I was like, I got to find a new place, but I had a five week old and I was like, now's not the time. So I thought by that point, you know, I had been like building a bigger online presence. I was part of Girls Gone Strong. And so I had patients all over the place. So half the time I'm going to sit in my lovely West Village office and talk on the phone. Um, You know, this was even before Zoom wasn't a thing. I I Skyped sometimes, but I was spending a lot of time on the phone and I thought, let me just see what happens. I'm definitely, I was doing acupuncture at the time too. So I was like, obviously I can't do that, but that wasn't really where my heart was anyway. I was way more interested in the functional medicine stuff that I did, you know, with those clients And I could do that over the phone. So um, I was, you know, going to see how that went. And most of my New Yorkers half the time would be like, I'm too busy to come down there. Let's just have an appointment over the phone anyway. So I naturally just tried it while I was on my, you know, couple months of maternity leave. And I just never went back. It was great. And it freed. It was one of those things that I had to kind of get around my head around because I think there's more like an idea of like a doctor's office and like the prestige of like having a practice in Manhattan. But what it allowed me to do was I got like four hours back of coming in and making sure my office was ready, taking the train home, you know, cleaning everything up at the end of the day and stuff. And so I got this extra time that relieved this level of stress. It's like gave me time for my walks every day. And it was one of those things that was hard to let go of, but it it was, you know, I talk to my patients about this all the time. Like sometimes something's got to go, right? Are you willing to like look at your life and maybe make some rearrangements and maybe let some ideas of things go or actually let, you know, things on your to-do list or whatever go so that you have time to do the things that really matter for you. And that was, you know, like just was so great. I had more time with my kids. I was able to like walk them to school every day or you know, once I got a little bit older and like the freedom it gave me, I think with time to just, you know, be able to have more time for those things that all of us have those wellness to do things right every day. It just takes time. Um, so I, it felt like a good, um, I felt really congruent to the work that I tell other women to do, to be able to do that. Cause it was hard. Like there was kind of a, like I said, a thing about letting all of that go, yeah. but it was overall a really good choice. And I'm so happy. And I was so lucky when all this hit, cause I was just all set up for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That works out well. It did. Um, I asked you too, like, does, did, does the nature of your work or, you know, your life day to day, has it changed, but has the nature of the challenges of your clients changed over the last year or so? Because, I mean, we all know that hormonal issues are evergreen and we also know that stress is inevitable. Um, So those things are always going to be there no matter what's happening in the wider world. But have you noticed a shift? I mean, because, you know, if you read the news, um, depression and anxiety and all kinds of mental health issues seem to be, or they were at least at the height of this pandemic, skyrocketing because life was just so uncertain and weird and scary and insular and we were not connecting and all of these things. Um, So did the nature of like the actual work you were doing um, change at all? 
Yeah, it was a weird thing. So initially, of course, no one cares about their hormones. They're just like, what do I do for my immune system? <laughs> so there was a couple of months that were just that, right? And then there was a lot of stress. Then that was kind of that next month was people losing their jobs and people being uncertain, people relocating. So stress was really high then. And that time, I think this would be like, you know, late spring, early summer of 2020, lots of sleep issues, lots of cycle issues. You know, we know how touchy some of our hormones can be, you know, progesterone, especially when we start seeing um, stress go up. So that was sort of initially what happened. Then things settled a little bit. And what I see now in 2021 is I feel like there's been a shift in so many people being, even at younger ages, being more proactive about their health. I think that what I've kind of seen happen is people were like, that was really scary. And, you know, part of the conversation that was going on with our immune system was like, we need to be better, you know, meta more metabolically healthy with inflammation. This is a really inflammatory virus and people that have a lot of inflammation are doing worse. And so that became, I think, you know, unfortunately what always happens is it's so polarized. So it's like, you're either on this camp or you're just going to try to do everything with diet, lifestyle, style and exercise. Of course, there's, I think, room for all of that. Um, but I think it kind of brought to the forefront for a lot of people that our health, maybe we can't take it for granted, even at like a younger, a younger age. So I've, I think I've seen people be a little more like, I got to take better care of myself and maybe address some of these things that I kind of didn't really want to deal with. Because I think especially before we get a little bit older, it's in, in women, especially moms, especially it's like, there will be more time for me later. And I think there was something sort of urgent about what happened. That's like, actually now is the time to, to take care of myself. That's, uh, that makes me feel good that yeah. people were like, yeah, let's deal with this problem now. And like, <laughs> yeah. let's be pro proactive. And I guess it makes sense. Cause I did, I am hearing a lot and maybe, I don't know, maybe because we are in kind of specialized circles sometimes, like we feel like our world is representative of the larger world and it isn't, it's um, not. <laughs> it's not, but at least within the bubbles that we're in, um, I, I guess I, I, do agree with you because like some of the work that I was doing, it's obviously pivoted to a lot more online stuff. And I found quite a bit of success with that because people were looking to manage their health, keep their health on track, but also stay connected with people, stay motivated, stay in like a good headspace, you know? Um, and also I think when there was this period of like a year where people were literally at home with nothing to do, but either take care of themselves, fall completely off the wagon, watch Netflix all day, descend into despair, or, or yeah. really look inward and be like, okay, I guess now's the time to deal with all this mess that I've been putting off because I'm too busy doing other things, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting. Okay. So um, let's talk about proactively approaching hormonal health. All right. I'm interrupting the podcast, but it's for a good reason. I'm talking about snacks, guys. Okay. Very important topic, a uh, topic that is near and dear to my heart because no matter how strict or healthy or crazy I get with my diet, I like to eat and I like snacks and I like treats that are healthy, that make me feel good, that don't make me feel like crap, but also I know are giving me nutrition and don't taste like I'm settling for something healthy. So all that to say, I'm very excited that we have yet another new partner for the show. This is a company that I've actually been a fan of for a really long time, um, but just recently connected with and learned a bit more about how they do things. Um, 
how high quality and next level their products actually are. Um, I was always impressed with them, but even more so now that I've had time to chat with the founder, Autumn Smith, co-founder of Paleo Valley. Um, They make a number of supplements, which I can talk about at a later date. You can go check everything out at paleovalley.com. But I'm talking today about their superfood bars and their 100% grass-fed fermented beef sticks. They're so delicious. They come in a bunch of flavors. Um, I've been eating the beef sticks and their chocolate, I think double chocolate superfood bars, um, dark chocolate chip, that's right, uh, every day um, because they sent them to me and I'm thinking, okay, these are grass-fed bone broth protein. They've got a ton of superfoods, including things like greens and broccoli and like greens powders, kale, stuff like that, which normally I'd be like, yeah, that's not really for me. I just give me the protein and the meat and the chocolate. Um, but these bars are really good. They taste like food. They don't taste like a lot of the um, sort of healthy or low carb or keto bars out there that are just full of like lab created sugars and chemicals. Um, they've got a ton of health benefits, blueberries, turmeric, ginger, Himalayan uh, salt, pumpkin seeds, and then of course chocolate. Um, So they've got protein, they're pretty low carb, decent amount of fat, they're just delicious. Um, Gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, all of that, low in sugar. Um, So they're delicious. And if you are somebody like me who wants to eat chocolate from time to time, who likes a protein bar when they, you know, go out for the day and want to have a snack, this is absolutely the kind of product that I think would be great for you. Um, So check them out. Go to paleovalley.com. I have a discount code. It's MMR. So that's Muscle Maven Radio, MMR for 15% off. Um, They're just awesome treats to have around, snacks to have on the go. If you're an outdoorsy person, if you, you know, don't want to wait to get home and make your own food or go to the gas station and get whatever nightmare they have there. This is the kind of smart snacking that you want to do. So I'm super impressed with this company. I will continue to tell you more about them and what they offer um, as we move forward, but just kind of wanted to put this note um, out there. If you're a snacker like me, this is kind of one of the best ways you can, you can do it. So go check out Paleo Valley. I appreciate that they are partnering with me and supporting the show, paleovalley.com, code MMR, get on it, dark chocolate chip superfood bar. So good. All right, now back to the show. So I think, I mean, the people who listen to this podcast, it's men and women, um, and we it really does kind of span uh, like the decades. So like people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond. Um, but generally speaking, maybe people who are listening who are like pretty sorted out, they would consider themselves pretty sorted out. What are some of the like proactive things we can do to even start pinpointing maybe some weaknesses, some areas that we need to look at in terms of um, overall health, hormonal health, stuff like that? Like if we're if we're somebody who's just wants to be on the ball and get proactive with it. Yeah, I think there's always two two camps of people. And I think all of these people probably listen to both of our shows. There's one that's like kind of new and like trying to still figure out like what's going on, like a little bit new to this. And then there's the other people who are like, you know, really in good, in a good spot. And they just need to like, take it like a little bit further, or they want to take it a little bit further. And I think either camp that you're in, what can often happen is, you know, it can get a little bit 
I almost feel like sometimes wellness has become a bit of a competition. Like how in our world, in our space, like how healthy can I be? And I think we all have to define within the parameters of all of, you know, I mean, I've got patients with, you know, lupus and MS. I mean, we, there's sometimes people have like really chronic conditions that is just not going to allow today for them to, you know, have the same health as, as someone else. So taking your unique situation into account. Again, your goals, your resources with time, energy, et cetera, like all, all those basics. So for that person, like, you know, getting in the basics of, is that sleep okay? The stress, you know, the inflammation, the, the digestion, all those things. And then the other person who's kind of got it a little bit more dialed in, I think both of those people, the biggest mistakes I think people often make is ignoring symptoms because it just doesn't seem like it's like a little pesky that that my cycle is a little bit longer or it's a little bit interesting. I'm having more bloating when I eat or, you know, I'm definitely not sleeping as well as I was a couple months ago. We always have that little lag time between when those things creep up and that's the best time to intervene. But so often it's not really life-threatening to not sleep very well for a couple of nights. It's not really life-threatening to have like a, your period be a couple days late, but when you, we tend to put that off. And we, I think for so many people, not so much your audience, but I think for so many people, we confuse the common as normal. And so when all your girlfriends get bloated every time they eat salad, then they're like, well, that's just what happens. And so I always try to encourage everyone to remember to listen to those symptoms. Don't wait. Like, again, don't wait for the pandemic to start lifting weights at home. Cause if maybe your life was so busy before that lifting at home might be the best option for you. It always has been, you just weren't pushed that. So we don't have to wait for like a crisis to make a change. So that's one of my biggest piece of, pieces of advice for anybody is just as those things start to come up, you know, women, especially we're really good at like there will be more time for me later right now. Kids need me, job needs me, partner needs me, all of that stuff, family, you know, and I think in what I see with women right now is women like me who had children later. So we're in this weird spot of young kids and aging parents. And so there's a lot of people that need you and there's a lot of people that you need to be there for. And so there's a real crisis for this set of women of like finding time to go talk to someone about that thing. And again, it's like, it'll, we'll get it to it later. You know, there'll be a little bit more time for me. So one thing is again, like not waiting for like a crisis to make a change, being sure you listen to your hormones. And I think for your people that have really figured it out, like they've gone through, they listen to you and they listen to these other experts and they've read the books and they're doing the stuff. What we can often see happen in that population is you get it all dialed in and then it stops to not work. Mm. It, or st- it starts to not work. It stops working. And then we just dig in. It's like, well, but this was been life-saving. This was life-changing for me when I started doing CrossFit or when I went paleo for the first time. Um, this was life-changing. And so we try our first time we did keto, miraculous. And then we try to do it harder, you know, like at a keto harder, do intermittent fast longer, do all of biohack more. So being aware when something stops working, not to dig in more, chances are it's not that, it's that we need to stop and your hormones have shifted. Something else has changed and things are different, especially for women, you know, after age 35, it's like every year things get a little bit different. And I swear after 45, every six months, things get a little bit different. So yeah, don't dig in more when your hormones start to talk to you. And we gave the acronym in Hangry, the book I wrote with Sarah um, for Goso that was like appetite, cravings, energy, sleep. Aces. Really easy to remember. When those things shift, whatever you're doing in diet, lifestyle, fitness, it's not working right now. And so when those things start to shift, it's not time to 
scrap everything you learned and jump on the latest craze, but it's time to stop and like reevaluate. Maybe you need to fast less right now. Maybe you need to fast more, you know, maybe you need to throw in some cardio and not do so much metabolic training. All of those things, they're all little variables we can tug on, but it's, we have that inclination that this was the thing, especially if it's the thing that really, really helped you. And it was like Mm -hmm. really profound. It's really hard to not just, like I said, dig in a little bit deeper. And I mean, I totally understand the psychology of it, right? If something's changed your life, then, you know, it's hard to, to put it away and, and say that it doesn't work anymore. But I love that you said this because first of all, I love it when smart experts back up something that I've already said, because it makes me feel better. Um, but, but it is, that is a huge part of the work I do with like my health coaching clients and these programs that I'm working on, um, I have an ongoing program right now about muscle building for women. And so much of it is exactly what you said. It's I did keto for a year and I lost 50 pounds and I did so well and it felt so good. And now I'm gaining weight and I feel miserable and my hormones are all messed up. And like, should I just eat 10 grams of carbs instead of 20 now? And I'm like, Nope. Yeah. <laughs> it just means that. And because and, I think people think of it as a failure. They think like this yeah. worked and I did it and I accomplished it and now it's suddenly not working. And so they immediately place the failure on themselves rather than just simply like looking at it, maybe a little bit less emotions based and more pragmatically, like this was a tool that worked for a certain point in time. And now again, like you said, sort of my body has made some changes or there are some changes or the, even my goals have changed. And so this tool is no longer the optimal tool. Um, but we just have this tendency to like, just immediately default to it's because we suck. We aren't doing it good enough. Let's like dig down and do it harder and harder. And then, like you said, ignoring our, our signals that our body's saying like, no, like just don't, you know, just maybe try eating some strawberries after your workout, dude, like, it's not going to kill you. Like, I know you haven't done it for a year and it's scary, but, but how can we encourage, and this is a big part of the, the work that I'm trying to do in the programs that I'm developing is, and I'm sure this is something that you focus on too with, um, with, is it patients, patients or clients? I want to use the right word. Um, anyway, is empowering people to listen to what their body and their mind is telling them and to give themselves a little bit of grace and a break to understand that if you are making changes, um, it's a process. It, every adjustment you make may not work. You may need to pivot and adjust again. It doesn't mean that you're a failure. Um, that's what coaches, that's what people that you pay to help you are doing. We're doing the same thing. It's yeah. just, that you trust us and you don't trust yourself. <laughs> right. Um, so how, what, how do you work with folks to like do that sort of empowerment education side of it too, so that one day they don't feel like they need to ask permission of someone like us to, eat some more carbs or take a day off or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I think like, like I said, like learning just that simple hormone talk, like that's something people can check in with like all the time. So if you can start, but you, like you said, you have to trust yourself. You have to be willing to listen to what's going on. You have to be willing to change. You know, I've got all these little mantras. I te- and one of them is grace over guilt. Like if it's not working, like we're so good at just being mad at our ourselves and feel like you said, we really always take that on if a diet, a plan, whatever doesn't work, then it's our fault. So I think that's a really a big one is give yourself a little bit of grace. And especially if it did work, that's all fine. But you know, we still have, 
things change. Your hormones, especially for women, it's a moving target and it will always change. I mean, you can count on that, that what you did in your twenties is not going to work in your forties. Right. And, but we, we want to go back to that. So that's a big one is just trust. Like you said, trusting yourself, giving yourself a little bit of, you know, grace. I always say too, like, be curious over critical. Like, why isn't this working anymore? Maybe it's not my fault. But like, what could I learn here? Okay, well, I've my sleep is totally falling apart in perimenopause. Well, then maybe intermittent fasting for 20 hours a day. My cortisol is not loving it, you know, and we teach kind of like in a, I, was, I call it a hormone hierarchy. Like, you know, if we want to really, really address those delicate hormones, low thyroid, low cortisol, then high cortisol, then insulin resistance, then estrogen and progesterone and testosterone, you know? So like those foundations, we always want to go back to that. So if something's not working, it's probably because a hormone a little higher up on the hierarchy is now, you know, touchy in a new way. And I would say the second thing that I think a lot of us need to do and a lot of our, you know, clients and patients need to do is we've, as those of us on social media and promoting our work have done, and, you know, as we've made it like, this is where you belong now, you're keto, you're mm-hmm. paleo, you CrossFit, you fast. And we've it's become this new like identity for us. And that's not really a bad thing. I mean, humans love connection. We love community. I mean, I think other than putting a weight in more women's hands than anything else, like the community of CrossFit, those are probably two it's, you know, we've got some downsides, but we, those are two really huge benefits from that community. But when I have to talk to a woman about, we have to take this metabolic training down and I am not one ever, whether it's your thyroid or your adrenals to just be like, you don't work out anymore. That's highly stressful to someone who enjoys working out, but we have to change it, right? We can use exercise as really powerful medicine. I always say you just need the right dose. And right now for what's going on for you, it might mean, you know, strength training in a different way, cardio in a different way, walking in, you know, all of that stuff might need to change a little bit, but, you know, we have to pulling away from that community or that identity that, and especially I have had talked to so many women who, you know, didn't feel that they were athletic, didn't feel that they could work out. They didn't feel comfortable in the gym. And some of these, you know, things like CrossFit or becoming part of a gym, you know, that was doing paleo or whatever, and they get part of that community and they felt so like this was a thing that evaded them their whole life. It's very hard to pull away from that. So I, you know, and I think that a lot of our fitness programs that have been so aggressive, maybe not, is not the right word, are becoming more adaptable. Yeah. Intense. Yeah. I see a lot of change in the, in the industry of people becoming, you know, just different coaches and groups and gyms being a little bit more adaptable to the people in that have been in their community and been so happy that need to do it a little bit differently. Whereas I think before that wasn't really um, how a lot of people felt. So that's another one is being willing to step away from your expert, your favorite keto person. Maybe that's not the right source of all of your inspiration right now, you know, or your gym that's pushing you in a way that's just not working for your heart. Hormones. And I think that can be so, so hard when people have to step away from that a little bit. Yeah. Agree with everything you said. Um, okay. So let's talk about, because, you know, one of the um, sort of key tenets that I usually tell women, and again, like you said, this is going to look very different depending on your stage of life and your overall kind of allostatic load and your yeah. just health and all these things. But yeah, putting weights in women's hands 
good generally across the board, right? Um, Can you talk from a smarter person's perspective as to why hormonally it is so important? um, Because again, you know, and I think it's important that women find the workouts that they like, right? It's like that cliche of like, what's the best workout, the one you're going to do, you know, whatever. Um, And it's like weight bearing, right? It's load bearing. It's good for your bones. It's good for your muscles. It can look different to different people. It can be more gymnastics based. It can be more powerlifting or, you know, all, it can look a lot of different ways, but this weight adding weight, this strength training, this building muscle concept for women that so many still have a bit of a hard time with. Um, can you just speak to why it is so important for women specifically and what it's doing chemically, hormonally when you prioritize that kind of exercise. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the biggest one you mentioned, like, you know, strength and it's good for our bones and all of that stuff. But I would say hormonally, the biggest thing that it's doing is it's you're giving a place for your fuel to go. That's not your body fat. So you're, you know, you're muscle mass is truly like your reserve of insulin sensitivity, which tends to get a little bit harder for us. You know, most people could get away with like a whole different nutrition strategy or carbs and all those things. It, you know, as the decades change, that changes. And when women start to lose estrogen and progesterone, you know, their insulin issues are going to change and their cortisol issues are going to change. Estrogen has a, you know, a little bit of an insulin sensitizing effect. And so when we lose that, our carb tolerance changes and that shifts everything in your metabolism and you, you know, get better at storing fat and worse at burning it. And one of the best things you can do is have a lot of muscle mass. And I think for some women, it's a physique that they maybe aren't, you know, necessarily drawn to, or at least they weren't initially. And I think for some of us that, you know, that started for me, like I had a mother who just wanted to be skinny, 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 and I'm just not built like that. And I have PCOS. So I have insulin resistance and lots of testosterone. And so I put on muscle really easy. And I spent the better part of, you know, my life till I was probably almost 30, just, you know, trying to get smaller, like trying to burn off what so many women are having a hard time gaining. Right. So part of it is embracing maybe a different, a different look, but if you can, you know, And sometimes that's a psychology piece of it. You know, I actually feel so grateful now that I can put on muscle so easily. Um, But it it really is. And especially again, with my like physiology with PCOS, it's a really, really important part of what keeps me having a cycle and keeps me from having like all of those PCOS trouble and some of the stuff with high cholesterol and things that can come from having that condition. But in a nutshell, it's really, really vital for your metabolism. And I think every year it just becomes more and more important. And as women's hormones change, their estrogen and progesterone wane and go crazy during perimenopause and menopause, you know, that will definitely impact your metabolism. And one of the best speaking of being proactive things women can do is start to, to lift weight. So that's one. So from a hormone perspective, you know, insulin, it gives your, you know, it's just, it allows you to be more insulin sensitive, or longer, which allows you to be, you know, insulin is one of those, it's so boring when I talk about, I think insulin and cortisol, because people are like, talk to me about leptin, something new, something fancy, talk to me about estrogen and progesterone. And you just can't get away from how fundamental your stress response and your glucose control are to all of your hormones. I think that those two just have like such a ripple effect across your entire hormone landscape. So it sounds boring to be talking about sleep and blood sugar balance and putting on a little muscle, but that's the things that's definitely going to, you know, carry you through. 
I will say as well, when it comes to like aging and our brain, you know, strength training is so important in terms of brain health and, you know, making new mitochondria and generating ATP and all of that is, it's essentially anti-aging, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not just about how you look like that is, you know, fundamentally from the inside, you're going to have, you know, better energy capacity, better cognition, um, better balance, all of these things become so um, important. But yeah, and it's really, again, I love to say that exercise is medicine, because, you know, we're getting one of the things that happens when we lose the ability to exercise is a lot, we can have a lot of dysregulation in inflammation, we have, you know, little myokines, or like the almost like the immune messengers that you know, work in the, in the muscles. And this is a big impact between our immune system and our inflammation and our oxidative stress capacity and muscle is just, it's like a, such a gift to give ourselves. It looks so pretty too. I, I know. <laughs> okay. I, it's funny. I, it does take, I think for me, it took some getting used to, to just really embrace the fact that I was just like a muscular girl, but it's been so freeing to just work with that. Cause now like I can work with that and try and, instead of trying to have a different body, which is what I had always been trying to do. Yeah. I mean, when you've been taught something either directly or indirectly through like the larger world for most of your life, it is incredibly hard to unlearn it. But if we can get yeah. there, that's a pretty amazing space to be. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to say some things about hormones now because I'm trying to learn about it as I am understanding. I'm trying to be proactive and (laughs) figure out what's coming down the pipeline at me in the coming years. Um, And you mentioned, you know, sort of perimenopause. So the time sort of leading up to menopause is a time of like a lot of fluctuation and a lot of potentially craziness and chaos. And menopause, once you're sort of in it, correct me if I'm wrong, is sort of like almost like a bottoming out of a lot of these hormones, like your hormone levels, like progesterone, estrogen, all these things are at sort of like an all-time low. And why wouldn't that, because I know we, you know, men's hormones, they've got hormonal issues too, absolutely. They tend to be a little bit less complicated. They're going through like less intense fluctuations, like things like getting pregnant and childbirth and menopause, like they don't have to deal with stuff like that, you know? So their stuff is a little bit more similar or a little bit more simple. but why wouldn't then menopause be a relatively more simple time for us? Because it's almost like we're kind of more like men at that age because we don't have all these crazy fluctuations and huge high amounts. It's like, we're just kind of like, just sort of like flatlined. Why isn't that like a break for us? Why does that come with a bunch of other issues? Well, in some ways it's better. So perimenopause is when women talk about menopause uh, being hellish, it's usually the perimenopausal time, which can last for like 10 years. And so during that time, progesterone is just on a steady decline as you ovulate less and less and estrogen is going all over the place. And that's what creates a lot of symptoms, hot flashes, all the craziness. But as you start to, and you know, and I think it's important to remember too, it's not just estrogen and progesterone, right? Because when you're getting hot flashes, then you can't sleep. (laughs) So now your cortisol is dysregulated. And what do you want to do when you haven't slept? Well, you want to eat simple carbs because you feel like garbage and you have no energy. So, you know, there's, there's some of that, that, you know, your other hormones will definitely get involved. And like I said before, estrogen impacts insulin and progesterone impacts cortisol. So estrogen, when you lose that, you know, women start to notice they're gaining more weight around the middle, which maybe that was never a place that they gained it before, or maybe it's getting more significant. And that's 
in part due to some estrogen loss and more insulin resistance. Progesterone, on the other hand, is like this lovely temperance. It, it, you know, it keeps estrogen from getting too nuts and it keeps cortisol in check. So you become so much more stress sensitive as you lose progesterone. So those really intense workouts might be blowing up in your face. Um, Missing a meal might be a stress that you all of a sudden can't handle. Certainly any of your like emotional, mental chaos and busyness that's going on or the lack of sleep becomes so much harder because you're just more stress sensitive. That's the best way to think of it. It's just every little thing becomes more of like a big deal for your hormones. So once you get on the other, and testosterone is just on the decline as, as well. Once you get on the other side of it, you know, you're going to eke out a little bit of progesterone from your adrenal glands and you're going to get a little bit of estrogen from your body fat. So you do have a little bit of these hormones, but it's not nearly as many. And so as nearly as much. And so you do have a more level field, but you're at a lower level. So this would be the same would be true of a man who's gone through andropause where his testosterone is lower. So you don't have the advantage of some of those hormones. So estrogen is a part of our metabolism. You know, it's part of what it helps you burn more fat when you work out. It helps you maintain your, your lean muscle. So those hormones that are now kind of gone, um, they do impact those. So on one hand, menopause is less symptomatic, but it can be harder to maybe make the gains in your health, you know, that, that you were estrogen, you know, too much and too little. It's a really touchy one, you know, too much of it can cause some, you know, like issues with its metabolites and that can be inflammatory, but estrogen in the right dose actually helps temper inflammation. So sometimes we see more of those, you know, issues crop up for women um, after menopause, but you definitely have, you have less symptoms, but you're, like you said, it is kind of a bottoming out. So you might be dealing with just the overall deficiency of those symptoms. And, you know, this is for someone who's naturally going through menopause. We're not talking about if you've had, if you're doing any kind of hormone replacement, it's going to be a whole different, a whole different question. Okay. What is the evolutionary reason for perimenopause to be a nightmare? And I guess secondarily mm. to that, is this another case of like the common, but not necessarily normal? Like, are there ways, I think there's a genetic component to this too, but are there ways that we can move into perimenopause and minimize these, these symptoms and these issues yeah. without, without necessarily resorting to, um, hormone replacement and things like that, just like naturally. And I know obviously it's like get good sleep work out, but like, is it sort of inevitable that perimenopause is going to suck? So the best way to think about perimenopause is like, it's puberty in reverse. Like you're you remember what it was like to go through puberty? Like you didn't, you didn't have hormones and now they're coming and they're surging and they're like, it's all stuff you've never felt before. And you're breaking out and, oh my gosh, now you're getting a period and your boobs are growing and you're gaining body fat and like all of this stuff, you know, you're just, that's it's, but that happens over the course of a couple years. And then perimenopause, you're just like back in your way out of it for, you know, many, many years. So the, how do you get through it? Right. So there's, um, they're certainly going the bioidentical hormone route, but that's not the right answer for everyone for a lot of reasons. Maybe you have cancer risks or maybe you have, you know, there's, uh, you're not comfortable with it for, for a variety of reasons. There's a lot of people that don't want to go that way. So there's definitely, as far as just like managing perimenopausal symptoms, lots of herbs, lots of like nutrients that are really powerful and helping not make those spikes so crazy. So we can really do a lot in, you know, functional medicine and natural medicine to deal with the symptoms. Now, if you're in your thirties and you're like, but I would like to not go through, you know, complete chaos, you know, what do I do? I would say the two things, especially as you're going through, um, 
you know, perimenopause and the, that progesterone's going down. So like, where's the rest of that progesterone coming from now? Now it's going to come from your adrenal glands. So the le- the better shape your HPA axis can be in, the better you've learned to manage your stress, the better you're avoiding doing what I call crazy crap with diet and exercise that overly stresses you. So having your, whatever your stress management skills are, again, like you said, prioritizing sleep, all that boring, boring stuff, um, using nutrition to your advantage, using exercise to your advantage, getting your stress sorted out by the time you get to your forties and then getting your inflammation sorted out. I always call inflammation the great hormone mess maker because it doesn't matter if you and I are talking about thyroid or estrogen or whatever inflammation from some food that you're eating an unhealthy gut, not getting enough sleep, you know, being unhappy. I mean, how many women find themselves like in their forties, like I don't even know what makes me happy anymore. I've been so busy taking care of everybody else or work or kids or whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, enjoy and happiness really profoundly impacts your immune system and your state of inflammation. So those two things, stress and inflammation, getting those sorted out as best you can in your thirties will help your forties be so much better. Again, there's going to be someone who's like, I did all that and I still had a, a rough perimenopausal time, but for being, you know, thinking about in your thirties, how could I go through this, you know, more gracefully? Those are really the two that will profoundly impact kind of how that all goes other than genetics. That is actually very helpful because I just recently, um, had, uh, Dr. Mark Bubbs on the podcast and he wrote this book. He's like a performance coach. Um, and he works with like elite athletes and stuff like that, but also us regulars. Um, and he wrote an entire book centered around how our happiness and performance tends to like bottom out in our forties. Um, and even like, you know, people tend to be much happier, much happier with themselves in their fifties, sixties, in their twenties, thirties, than they are in their forties and forties is like this weird slump that happens where, yeah, like you have so many responsibilities. You don't necessarily have maybe the freedom and the flexibility and the like just inherent, you know, luck of youth that you dealt with the first couple of decades. But then when you're older and you get through it, maybe you feel a little more comfortable or you're more sorted out. And it's like the forties are just this really rough period. Yeah. Um, That makes me feel better because that's how I feel right now. (laughs) It's very common. It's very common. Um, But, you know, some of the stuff that he talks about, I think is very similar to the stuff you talk about and you talk about in Hangry. um, And a lot of it is, you know, to a certain extent, easier said than done, but it's also like you have the tools. You may not be perfect all the time. You may not be able to be proactively fixing every problem you have as you enter your forties, but like knowledge is key. Awareness is key. And there are always things you can be doing. Even if you are a stress ball and you have so many responsibilities and you have so many things to do, there are things that you can control to different extents all the time that are going to make this process easier. Um, And just knowing them and knowing that you have more control maybe than you think you do, instead of just being so reactive um, about health. And like that kind of comes full circle to what we were talking about earlier is people understanding this now and knowing that you can be proactive and there are so many things you can do. It doesn't a hundred percent make everything perfect, but it can help you and it can ease the it can ease transitions. It can ease challenges that you have when you know that there are so many choices you can make in a day um, to either go more in the direction of being he- he- um, healthier and happier or less, you know? So yeah. um, I think that's really actually very helpful um, information as some of us in our thirties are like, Oh, re- puberty in <laughs> reverse. It sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think that it's, we, there's things we can control and there's things that we can't, you know, and I, maybe that gets easier as you get a little bit older to know there's just some things I can't control that thing. But I think it's so empowering to just, you know, get connected to those things that you can control. And to the most, you know, for the most part, we can control what we're eating most of the time. Mm -hmm. So that's, and there's, you know, so much power in like the nutrition you're putting in, the things that you're avoiding that were causing inflammation, the balancing of your blood sugar, the protein, you know, women are always under eating protein. Um, you know, those things so simple and you've heard them 8,000 times by this point. I mean, if you follow Ashley, follow me, follow like five other people that we know, we're all probably said that today, you know? And so, but it still evades us sometimes, but you can, you can always hang your hat back on those, you know, foundations. And, you know, with hangry, that's kind of one of the things we tried to do is you give like a simple template that every woman's going to have to adjust. Like, cause there is no perfect workout for every woman who has, let's say low thyroid or, you know, PCOS or whatever there's, or wants to lose weight. There's, you know, but there's gotta be some sort of thing you can kind of hang your hat on. So we've talked about five walks a week. We said four meals a day to start if your hormones are crazy, but like, what's your eating schedule? Like, what is it that works for you that keeps you feeling level and gets you the results that you want? Three strength training sessions a week, at least two liters of water, and one like commitment to your own self-care every day, like five, four, three, two, one. And it's funny, I have found since I put that framework together, I mean, it's certainly, it's, you know, this with writing a book, there's stuff you say all the time, but when you're trying to put it into a format, it's like, what's something somebody could remember, yeah. you know, like the aces, like what's this little thing someone could, could take away from that. The five, four, three, two, one, I can't believe how often in a week I come back to that framework for myself. Just like, it's all falling apart today because X, Y, and Z, and we were talking off air, we entered back into the world. We in the last three weeks, we've had strep and a cold, like just barely got out into the world and like all this stuff's coming up. So it's been a crazy couple of weeks, internet troubles, like going back to those five, like what, what can I do? Can I get my walk in? I could probably find a way to at least get 30 minutes in three strength training sessions a week. Yeah. I can squeeze that in probably in the course of a week. And if I come down to nothing, can I drink some water? Can I eat some vegetables and some protein? And can I try to stay committed to like my own self-care and being nice to myself? Like it really is, those things are not in and of themselves super groundbreaking, but Mm -hmm. if you can kind of just go back to those basics when it feels, you know, we have these pillars, um, these mindset pillars in Hangry called the five pillars. And one of them is truly, we dedicated a whole chapter to this because it's one thing to know what you need to do. And it's another thing to either do it at all, like commit to doing it for yourself or finding a way to get it done when you've got so much overwhelm. Yep. And so we talked a lot about like, what are those tools you need to, as you were saying, like, what can I let go? Like, what, what do I not have to do today so that I can do just the things that, that really matter that really move the needle for you? Yeah. I love that. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I have a couple more kind of specific questions that I, I, I want to squeeze in before I let you go. Um, you mentioned the term andropause and we, you know, on the podcast, I have a lot of men that listen to, and I don't want to completely ignore them. Do you, do you work with male clients is, or are you kind of focused more on women? I am focused on women. I tend to work with a handful of husbands of patients or partners of patients or like, I've got, well, like one, I've got a brother of somebody. So yeah. So it tends to be like, okay, well, my husband's got this going on, so let's pull him in. But so I do a little bit, but I refer most of those people to, to other experts. 
is andropause a as natural and inevitable a phase of life for men as menopause is for women? Is it just like you're yeah. getting older, your testosterone's getting lower, here's how we deal with it kind of situation? Yeah, and the same things are gonna apply, right? Like you're gonna wanna watch your stress, right? You're gonna wanna watch yeah. your inflammation and your oxidative stress and keep your hormones as robust as you can for as long as you can. They don't tend to go through the like fits and starts of perimenopause. It tends to be a little bit more of a gradual, you know, decline. I send everybody to Dr. Ralph Esposito, who I believe he's you the know. best. I, yes. I'm just like, go talk to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's the best. Yeah. I yes. should have him back on, I guess. Cause he's, I know I want to have really him back good. on. Yeah. Too. Um, so, and then the other, like related to that, that I just wanted to touch on because I, it's something I haven't really talked about much on the podcast, but it's this hormone replacement, like, uh, protocol or even just the concept of it that I think maybe men are a little, maybe, I don't know, tend to be a little bit more comfortable with, or a little bit more knowledgeable about, or it's a little bit more talked about that, you know, healthy men that are in their even thirties, but forties, fifties that are getting older that want to stay sort of vital and feeling good and muscular and sexually active and all of these things, they can go and talk to their doctor about, um, starting to do this hormone replacement thing. And it's not, like back in the day where we were like, well, does that just mean you're shooting yourself full of testosterone or steroids or whatever? Like it's, it's a much more, I think, accepted part of the conversation of like proactive health management and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if that's the case with women. I don't know, maybe just because I haven't had the conversation enough. I think it is pretty common, a, a common thing. Um, I don't know if it's something that we talk about or if there's sort of a taboo around women needing to start replacing or like doing, you know, extrinsic things to like sort out their hormones. But is that really common? Is it, is it, um, is there like maybe some pros and cons to you wanting to pursue that? If you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So with the women's health initiative study that was, I can't remember how many years ago, scared the pants off everyone about getting breast cancer and, you know, cancer, if you took hormone replacement and it would be hours and hours for us to go through everything that was wrong with that study. But number one, they were using synthetic hormones, which we don't use anymore. I mean, some people probably still do, but the efficacy and safety of bioidentical estrogen and progesterone is looking really good. And the more we're studying it, the better it looks and the, you know, the safer it looks and some of the, you know, positive outcomes, like for women, like with cognition and heart health and not just like keeping your body lean, right? Like these are, and, or keeping yourself free of hot flashes, right? It's, there's really some benefits that we're seeing and the research is looking really good that this is probably much safer than the way we felt about it 10 years ago. Now, all that said, whether you're going to go through, you know, going the bioidentical route or not, you know, what typically what happens is you get your prescription um, and then you feel really great for a bit and then you don't. And so they raise your dose. And that, that can be a really common scenario where it's like, I, I felt like my life, you know, came back, but they, you know, just kind of go on and on because and raising the dose because they're still not doing those boring things you and I talked about. They've got too much inflammation, their liver's all bogged down, their gut's a mess, and they can't metabolize those hormones that just came in. So you still don't get away from doing that, in my opinion, but um, I'm not anti-bioidentical hormone replacement. I think you have to very much take every woman into account. What are her unique genetic and metabolic tendencies? What are her goals? You know, there's so, what's her family history? There's really a lot to that. It's very much science meets art when it comes to that, but we can't just throw those into a messed up system. Who's, you know, like, 
you know, but some women, you know, really also cannot sleep without progesterone. Like they go through, so they've tried Vitex and they've tried all the stuff and they go through a really rough time in perimenopause and progesterone can like really, really help them. So I'm definitely not against it. And I think the good news is, is the more we're studying the bioidentical hormones, it's looking a lot safer than we had ever thought before that it just seemed like if you're going to do hormones, you're really going to run this big risk of cancer. And I think we can kind of put that to, to bed with bioidentical hormones. We're still, but I do think that even if you go that route, we just never get away from taking good care of ourselves. Unfortunately, like I always say, like you never get out of exercising. You never get out. You still can't <laughs> like, skip the foundations, no matter what we no. come up with in science. You cannot skip the yeah the unsafe. yeah. So I don't prescribe them, but if women in my practice are taking them, then we make sure that we're you know watching those metabolites that they're metabolizing them properly, that the inflammation and the gut health and all those things are in place so that they can feel good, you know, doing them. And we're not just like, give you more, give you more, give you more. What is the difference? Just because I don't know anything about this. What is the difference between synthetic hormones and bioidentical hormones? Yeah. So bioidentical just means it looks more like the hormone that you made. So we can talk about this in terms of bioidentical estrogen or bioidentical progesterone or like bioidentical thyroid is something most people know, like they've heard of their synthetic thyroid hormone replacement, like Synthroid. And there's armor thyroid, which is bioidentical. So it's from pig thyroid gland, but it looks like ours. So the advantage of it looking like ours is that it's more familiar and it's going to behave more like our own hormones. And the synthetic hormones were the ones that that was what was studied in our previous the women's health initiative that looked so scary. So we don't want to be using the synthetic hormones. And now, you know, we have tons of options and they're not just compounded you know, like most of the like estrogen patches that you would just get from a conventional doctor in a standard pharmacy, those are typically bioidentical now too. Okay. So it's just kind of a question of like the molecular chemistry. What does it look like? So it looks a little bit more like what we, what we would make. It's kind of just better technology. It's just yeah. like, we're improving the product to make it more like what we produce rather than this obviously right. sort of foreign thing we're putting into our bodies. Yeah. And progesterone is a really good example. So there is bioidentical progesterone. If you were to get that in a um, prescription, it's called Provera and it is your, it looks like your progesterone. And then there's also this synthetic progesterone that doesn't look really anything like your progesterone. In fact, it looks a lot more like an androgen. It looks more chemically structural to that. And so, you know, it's just really, that's called a progestin but, you know, it's really the effects and the way women tolerate them is really quite different with the bioidentical hormones. And again, that's not something that I prescribe, but it is something a lot of my women that come to me are already on it. And it's like, well, how do we make this safer and, and better for you? But a lot of my women also come to me because they don't want to do it that way. For whatever reason, they want to, um, you know, work with herbs and natural medicine and try to get their symptoms under control with, without that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Very I would individual. think... I would think one of the biggest issues or challenges, like, and it's what's coming up for me, if I find myself in a place where that's something that I want to pursue, is almost more the issue of, like, you hear all these things, whether it's blood pressure medication or testosterone, that, like, well, once you're on it, 
guess what? Like you just got to stick to this for the rest of your life. You're probably going to have to keep having more and more. And then there's the fear of like, well, how do I even find a provider or a functional medicine physician or a doctor that I'm going to trust to do what's in my best interest rather than just like slapping a bandaid on my problems. And there's no easy answer to that either because we don't always know. Um, we don't always know if people are doing things in our, our best interest and like, it's yeah. can be scary and intimidating and we want to trust and believe in the professionals that they know what they're doing, but that's not always the case. And then we don't want to go down this rabbit hole of not trusting the people that were, you know what I mean? It's like this whole scary, what do we do? How do, who do we know. trust, you know? Um, I always say when you have to sometimes do a little doctor shopping, you just have yeah. to, I think, interview somebody, talk to them and see if it seems like, you know, trust your gut on a lot of that stuff. I mean, I see it every day in my practice, you know, this like came up yesterday. Someone spends all this money on all these functional medicine tests, right? They've got a Dutch test and they've got a stool test and they've done, they've got some really great information. And then I see it and I was like, well, what did you guys, what was discussed? What did, what was the treatment based on this? And they're like, they told me re- that there was really nothing to it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, look at this, this and this. And like this, you know, and I, that happens at least twice a week or someone has seen another provider. So I, you know, it's really hard. And I'm sure that in, initially they really felt like they trusted this person, which is why they worked with them. But I get, you know, you gotta, I don't know how to give a lot of advice around that. I think that, you know, doing a little bit of interviewing and feeling, you know, like you get a feel for that, you know, read like, you know, read a testimonial. Does it seem like that person who said this about that person makes sense for you? And then also just being, when you're in a relationship with your functional medicine doctor or your provider, like, are you, do you feel like it's just, you were given something a year ago and you just keep staying on the same regimen and nothing's ever changing. That's a big red flag to me when someone's like, well, I did this test last year. And so I've been taking this adrenal supplement since then. That's a big red flag to me. If you're not doing diet and lifestyle and exercise recommendations, we're just doing supplements. That's that's a red flag. Um, and all of your treatment for the most part should be going down. Like, you know, sometimes that first time we've got H. pylori and we've got, you know, all these things going on and we have to do a lot of treatment, but are you moving to a place where you're getting into maintenance and maintenance doesn't necessarily mean you never take another supplement again. You know, like for me with PCOS, like, you know, I still take certain things because it helps keep all of that in check. And I still get a period every month. And I, you know what I mean? Like all those things stay in line for me and I'm not breaking out all the time, but if I didn't do those, then, you know, they're still supporting me. And that of course has to change every so often because my hormones are changing. And so just making sure that you're moving towards your goal and that you can let some of the stuff go. And it's not to say that something else doesn't creep up, right? Like somewhere in all of that, you could get a new diagnosis or a new condition. But, you know, I think that's another really good thing to keep in mind with your, with your practitioners. You want to be moving towards your goal and your like level of intervention should start to, to go down. I like that. That's actually very, tangible, useful information because yeah, no, that's very helpful. Um, Dr. Brooke, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It's yeah. Like I said, it's been uh, way overdue and I would love to have you on again to continue the conversation because I know we can go in um, a lot of different directions. Are you 
taking clients right now or are you kind of max capacity? Nope. I'm taking new clients right now. Like I said, I took a little bit of a break after the book came out. So yeah, I am taking new clients now. And how does that work? Is it like, would someone need like another doctor's prescription to talk to you or is someone just like, Hey, I'm a mess. You got to help me. And then there's like an intake process. Like how does that work? (laughs) Yeah. You can just go to my website, betterbydrbrook.com and you can contact me off there and myself or my admin will get you the necessary information. Um, And I do kind of an interview call. Like we kind of get to know each other a little bit to make sure that you're feel like you're jumping in with the right with, you know, that what I do is, is, is going to work best for you. And that I know that I'm the person that can help you because sometimes I'm not the best person and someone else I can refer you off to, but yeah, that's the best way to find me. Um, Awesome. And your book is amazing. Hangry is an awesome book. I love it. I've got it upstairs in my office. I'm not in there right now, but um, Mm -hmm. recommend anybody uh, read that just because again, a lot of the stuff we've talked about today, it's not, it's not magic. It's, um, it's simple, but not easy stuff that we just need to actually absorb and actually trust and use and use over and over again until it becomes consistent. Um, And they become, like we said sort of earlier, like tools in the toolbox for the constantly shifting craziness that is our lives. Right. And I think it's just, I think that this book is another really useful tool. So can folks and folks can get that anywhere. You said it just came out in paperback too. Yeah. So the beginning of this year, it came out in paperback. So you can get it Kindle audio. Sarah and I read it. Hardest thing I've ever done, by the way, um, was (laughs) recording that audio book. But yeah, you can get that anywhere books are sold. And it is a really great roadmap for women who are like, I don't even know what's going on. And the woman that we really wrote that for is, you know, like, I've got multiple things going on. What do I listen to? I've got low thyroid and insulin resistance. And one's telling me to fast and one's telling me to, you know, like eat all the time because my blood sugar is too low. So really trying to help you understand how to make sense of all your hormones and give you a template and then figure out how to kind of adjust that based on all those unique needs. I mean, women just, we always identify with this condition, right? Like I'm a woman with Hashimoto's, I'm a woman with PCOS. And those women also have thyroids and adrenal glands and, you know, all the other parts too. So it, it gets complicated. It's no wonder everyone's feeling a little confused and overwhelmed. Um, and we did pay a lot of attention in that book to stress management because that's really what it comes back to. Yep. Always. Um, I can imagine that uh, uh, doing the audio for a book would be rough because I'm somebody who loves to talk. I do it for a living. And when I, you know, podcasting, but like when I do, I've done a couple like solo episodes where it's just me talking. So I don't have someone to like, you know, bounce back and forth or to like whatever. And it's just me talking and like talking for an hour straight is just like, Ugh, it's gross. This is the worst. You have to do it. Since Sarah left the show, Sarah and I used to have the podcast together. And since she left in the fall, I've been doing almost all solo episodes. It's been, I'm amazed I could talk for that long. It's rough, right? (laughs) It's like a whole different feeling. It is different. I miss her. Yeah. It's, um, I've been able to do deeper dives into my stuff, like, you know, do a whole one on how your digestion works from your brain on down, um, do a deeper dive into some of those things. And that's, that's part's been fun, but I do do miss having a co-host, but yeah, sitting in that chair for three days, trying to have that much energy about, and then just say it right. (laughs) Sound good. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness, that would be, that would be really rough. Um, okay. By the time you're done with it too, you're like, I don't want to hear any of this anymore. I'm so over it. Yeah. I mean, luckily I'm writing cookbooks, so I don't have to do this, but I will tell you like when my, when I finished my first book, I was like, guess who's not eating an organ meat for a solid three to four months. Like I'm 
over it right now. Like it's still good. I still love it, but I'm over it. Um, okay. So I'll make sure I put all of that in the show notes, um, and also link to your podcast because it's amazing and everyone should follow you. Um, thanks again for your time. This is amazing. We'll do it again soon. And I'm glad that for once, like technology and the internet worked for us this entire time. So let's get off before we jinx it. Um, but yeah, enjoy the rest of your day and thanks again. Thank you. And that's all folks. Thank you to Dr. Brooke for taking the time as always. Thank you to Paleo Valley for sponsoring the show. One of the things that I hear a lot from stressed out people, busy stressed out people is that they don't have enough time to eat or they forget to eat. And that sounds like just complete craziness to me because I've never, literally never forgotten to eat in my life. But it does happen and I understand it, I respect it. And I think one of the ways that you can avoid this issue, becoming hangry, which is a problem, um, not fueling yourself properly, which is just going to continue the cycle of being like stressed and jittery and not have enough energy and all of these things is to be proactive and to plan and to, if necessary, have snacks on hand, guys. So one of my favorite snacks that I've been eating pretty much every day are these superfood bars from Paleo Valley. Um, They've got a couple different flavors. My favorite, obviously, is the um, double chocolate chip. They've got a couple new ones coming out that I'm really pumped to try. Um, But they're awesome because they are full of protein, probiotics. They actually have a bunch of plant-based superfoods hidden in them, um, which is good for me because I'm not eating a lot of plant-based superfoods otherwise, but they also taste like food. Like they don't taste like these chemically protein bars that leave like a weird fake sugar aftertaste. They're low carb. They're not zero carb. They're not keto bars, but they're lower carb, really kind of whole foods bars that actually taste good. Um, and like throw some of these in your bag, throw some of these with their, um, uh, beef sticks that they have other snacks that are good are like, any kind of beef jerky. You can make it yourself at home. Um, you know, like, uh, protein shakes, like have these things on hand so that you're not always reactive and freaking out about how hungry you are. It's pretty easy to have like protein and, and fat snacks. If you do like a little bit of preliminary work, but if you don't want to make the stuff, highly recommend you check out Paleo Valley. Their stuff is really, really good. They put a lot of attention and quality ingredients into their stuff. I eat them all the time. Go to paleovalley.com and use the code MMR to save 15% on anything you buy. It's a good idea. All right, that's it. I hope you have a wonderful week. Eat some food, chill out, go lift weights. That's all there is to it, guys. Take care, and I'll see you next week.